that last phrase, we write this to make our joy complete, I believe is a prophetic of what I know God is doing in our midst. Mother Teresa made a, a, a very significant statement. She said, in silence we discover prayer, in prayer we discover faith, in faith we discover love, and in love we discover service. And if you're at the church asking, I, I wonder where this church is going, what's our goal? Well, our goal, we've said for years, is to become like Jesus. But what does it mean to become like Jesus? It means to climb that pyramid until we are doing what he did. And Jesus came to demonstrate, to model, to enflesh the love of Jesus Christ by giving himself away. He left heaven, became poor so he could wash our feet, die for us, give himself away. And he said, that's the way to joy. Where we're going is that we want this church to be a servant church because we think that's the only witness we can have in a skeptical world. The one thing that's irresistible about us is when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and we begin to love as Jesus loves. I told you two weeks ago, it won't be our fine building, it won't be our big budget, it won't be our big numbers, but when we go out and love as Jesus loves, that's a witness. We want to talk about that this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we realize even this text is unintelligible until your spirit opens our eyes to it. We need that miracle now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last spring, our, after our co-worker Dale Kinder lost his life in a tragic accident here at the church, many of our staff, including myself who witnessed it, suffered great trauma. And to help us process our shock and our grief, we invited a counselor from Stanford Hospital, and I was intrigued by the questions that he asked. He asked, what did we see, and how did we feel about it? Listening to our responses that day, it occurred to me we were giving a witness to something we had experienced, an event about which we had deep feelings. Strategic events, tragic and joyful, greatly impact us. Usually we want to tell someone, in fact, we almost feel we have to tell someone about these experiences. As we study the book of Acts, we're going to discover that the power in the personal witness of the early Christians was the method Jesus used to build his church. You see, they were in the upper room, this Holy Spirit happening happened, and they went out to tell the world about what they saw and how they felt about their encounter with the resurrected Christ. And when they told the, told the story, it turned the world upside down. That leads us to our text. First, we learn personal witness is a very effective method God uses to build his church. Our text reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit in this text is what gave those believers boldness to go and tell what? To go and tell their personal story of how Jesus had impacted their lives and how they felt about it. If I could bring it down to its lowest common denominator, a witness is simply a statement. This is true, and I know it because it happened to me. In 1 John, this was a witness, that which we've heard which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. You know, there's something contagious about a person who shares an experience about which they're totally excited 
and filled with joy. Last week, Frank Vanderswan came into the sacristy sporting a new suit. He was wearing it today, if you noticed, and a new tie. And he rubbed it in because he said, I've just been to Macy's. And they had a 50% off sale. And when I got there, they had 30% off of that. And on top of that, you get a coupon of $10 for every $50 you spend. So look what I bought for such and such a price. And he had a new tie. So of course, I was impacted by that. I ran, you didn't know that, but uh, right after the 11 o'clock service, I made my way over there. And sure enough, all the 42s were gone and there wasn't a tie worth buying. But that was my bad fortune. But you know what? Frank's word was a witness and it motivated me. It led me to action. This year, Med and I are going to become grandparents two more times. When Leslie and John and John and Joan came to tell us they were expecting, it was obvious from the joy in their eyes, they could hardly wait to share that news with us. They couldn't help but share the news. And of course, we couldn't help but respond with our own joy. That was a witness. At this point, I do want to give a warning I have not preached too often about witnessing because I was burnt very badly in my early years as a Christian, so much so I'm I'm very hesitant about the subject. But then as I've studied Acts, I I have a, a new insight to what it is and what it is not. Witnessing is not getting in people's faces, answering questions they're not asking, offering help they're not seeking. You and I do not convert anyone, nor should we, That's God's responsibility. In fact, if you read Acts 1 carefully, Jesus warned his disciples a few verses earlier in this chapter, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit of God has come upon you. Don't go try to build my church and convert anybody. That's my job. I'll send the Holy Spirit ahead of you or you're going to fall flat on your face. So much damage has been done when we think we have to do the saving when we have an almost obsessive, compulsive feeling that that person's lost, then we've got to get them or they're going to be lost forever to God. And we forget that changing people is solely the work of the Holy Spirit. And if we try, we'll only do damage. The only thing the Bible asks us to do is when the Holy Spirit opens the door, we should tell our story. Witnessing is sharing an experience about what Jesus means to us what it was like to live in darkness, as the Bible calls it, before we knew him, what it's like to live in the light of knowing him now, the contrast, the changes he's bringing to us. It's important, though, to remember, and I can't put this in bold enough type, our story should be told only at the appropriate time. When the Holy Spirit opens a door that's absolutely clear, And usually that happens as the result over a long period of time of a relationship of trust and love that we built with a person. Till one day, after a lot of interchange with us, they ask, you know, I need to ask you, why do you care about me? Where do you get your coping power to deal with life's crises? You've got something I don't have. How can I find what you have? That's an appropriate time to tell our story about Jesus. Now, it's important to highlight, caring behavior, just going out and loving people, is not the truth of the gospel. You haven't witnessed if you've gone and loved. All you've done is you've you've become a catalyst that can be used by the Holy Spirit to soften that person's heart, to awaken them to their need for a Savior, to highlight the vacuum that's in their life that only Jesus can fill. 
A documentary on Mother Teresa revealed unprecedented acclaim from leaders of other religions that has never happened in India previously given to a Christian woman. One Hindu leader said this, and I quote, Mother Teresa set up her clinic next to my temple. This disturbed my Hindu congregation, and I told them I'd get rid of her. After visiting her clinic, watching her care for the poor, I went back to my congregation and I said, when you will go to the clinic and do for the poor what Mother Teresa is doing, then I'll get rid of her. You see, her witness was her caring. Her love opened the door so that she could communicate the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit through her to people who otherwise would never have listened to her. Her clinic is there to this day, right next to the Hindu temple. Bridges have been built from Christianity to other religions through caring. Now, think about it. That's really not so strange. Most of us here today came to faith in Jesus as the result of having met a Christian who became authentically involved with us and in our needs, who cared about us. And after a period of time, we came to love that person, and we also learned that this person was a follower of Jesus. And we were drawn to the Jesus they loved because we wanted what they had. That's really not so strange. That's the way it works. Caring leads to some questions, which gives us a chance to tell our story, and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Now, this leads to a second truth. Where are we to give our witness? Our text offers a roadmap of priorities of where we witness. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea represent where our witness has to begin, folks, and that's with those closest to us. After Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, he sent him home and he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Do you know what one of the most common reasons offered by children raised in the church, given who, and I want to say particularly preacher's kids, who later rebel against their faith? They say it's because the faith of my parents was phony. They had one persona for church and another one for the rest of the week when we lived with them. I want to tell you that if you want to know me, don't look at me in my dress-up outfit in the pulpit, but ask my family and ask my personal friends about who I am at home out of the spotlight when my guards are down, no one is looking, my blood sugar is low, and I'm totally stressed out. <laughs> in other words, know me about one o'clock today. You see, until those close to us see a positive, loving model of Jesus in our lives, our potential for making an impact on anyone beyond our personal life is dramatically reduced. In fact, it shouldn't happen. We're only a hypocrite if we have hell breaking loose in our personal life and we're out there trying to tell how wonderful Jesus is to a secular world. But we are all also called to witness in Samaria. Samaritans, if you think about it, were enemies of the Jews. And Jesus is telling us to give our witness through loving behavior, not only in the safety of our homes and private relationships, but out in the secular environment, places often openly hostile to God. <clears throat> places like the classroom, the office, the neighborhood, golf course, business lunches. And I want to tell you that even the most skeptical, hostile heart can be thawed by authentic Christ-like love given over a period of time 
with no other desire than just to care and to love. An elder was called upon to take leadership at the graveside of his friend's wife. Neither the deceased wife nor the husband, the surviving husband, has a full knowledge of Christianity. However, they did know this elder and his faith and his love for them through the years and his honesty in business with them. So last week, this husband, in his grief, called the elder and said, would you officiate at the graveside of my wife because I don't know anybody else who's, quote, religious. And later that man said, I'd like to attend your church. And he will. That's a witness. You see, so many people in that environment where you'll be tomorrow are going through all difficult challenges, as you heard listed in our pastoral prayer today. And they would appreciate finding someone, anyone, willing to care and share their pain. How wonderful when the love of Jesus simply leads us to stop, to listen, to care. We don't have to solve their problems. We don't have to cure their pain. Just care. I had an example of that after 6.30 last night. I was not feeling real good about the service and told Rick about it. And wondered, I said, nobody cares about witnessing. You know, I wonder why I should bother preaching about it and all that kind of stuff. This morning I came into my office and he had a little note on my desk. He said, God showed up, happy face. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, of course I couldn't do it, but God showed up last night as he has today and, and God's going to help us understand this message. But he took the time to write a note of encouragement. And I thought, it doesn't take much, but that has a lot to do with the fire that I'm feeling today because one colleague said, I love you that way. I wonder if we realize the power of just being nice, courteous, observant, responsive to the feelings of people. You see, ours is an increasingly impersonal, cold society. We all know that. People are preoccupied with their own pain, their own agendas, and they're unwilling. They're unable to get outside themselves. So when we can be out there loving as Christ loves, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we sort of stand out. We make an impression. And people want to ask some questions. Gordon MacDonald tells a beautiful story about a New York bus driver who became very bored with the monotony of his work. And George told him after one service on a Sunday, why don't you make your bus an arena for ministering to people instead of just a job? So he said, okay. And he began the next day by simply asking questions and building relationships with people who rode his bus regularly. As people began to realize this driver really was beginning to have an interest in what was going on in their lives, he said, I had opportunity after opportunity to share my story about what Jesus means to me, just because a bus driver cared. You see, even the most stressful, boring job can take on new life when we discover the thrill of surprising needy people by taking a personal interest in them because nobody else does in our world. I do want to give a word of warning. The original word for witness is similar to the word martyr. It highlights the cost of getting involved with people, and that's why a lot of us don't do it. It's the cost of risking having our motives misunderstood, of being thought of as a fanatic or weird, risking inconvenience, sacrificing our privacy, our schedules, in order to be available for people, risking becoming involved with people for whom we have no natural affinity. We don't even like them, and yet God calls us to care for them. One of, our, one of our elders was sharing how in his 12-step recovery program, members there are willing to go out anytime, day or night, to help someone who is struggling because that's part of their own therapy. 
That's the cost of witnessing, of caring in Samaria, and that's what we're called to do. One of you responded to this call to care after last week's message by saying, I don't think you as a staff really understand the time and the pressures that we are under in this community. I think that's a very relevant response to what you've been hearing for three weeks here. You know, you've got to do more. We've got to get out there and love and care for people. That's how we climb the ladder to God and all that kind of stuff. I need to tell you that a common need in this peninsula is that most of us have no margin of time and no margin of money. And when you come here and we're asking you to do one thing more, we do understand that's overwhelming. But you see, it's not the preachers asking us to do this. We're preaching the word of God. This is Jesus asking. And when we hear this call, what's really happening is you're hearing a, a, a call to a crossroads of decision. I believe God is bringing our church to this crossroads of asking, what course are we on? What priorities are we following? And what changes need to be made if we're going to take Christ seriously and become authentic Christians in a needy world? I think that's going to mean that a lot of us start evaluating our priorities about acquiring, consuming, achieving, becoming successful, becoming powerful, that our culture sells us is the way of life. And we've got to start listening to Jesus who said, the only way to go up is to go down. The only way to save your life is to give yourself away. And let me tell you this. Jesus spoke of weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end of our lives. I've been intrigued by that. I wondered what he meant. And as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to understand what is it going to be like at the end of your life when you look back and evaluate how you invested this precious commodity called life? What is the reward of consuming and acquiring and doing everything our culture says that leads to joy? Well, that might be, make you successful in today's world. But Jesus says, I want to give you something better than success. I want to give you significance. And if you'll follow me and put people and their needs as number one, I'll give you all the other things, but I'll also give you a sense at the end of your life that you live for a purpose. Remember one Easter I told you, and I love the analogy it was given to me, where it'll be sort of like, um, if we don't listen to Jesus, it'll be like we climbed the ladder of success, got clear to the top, and then discovered, discovered it was leaning against the wrong building. That's gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a warning time. This is a wake-up call that as a church and as people, we're going to take Christ's priorities of caring as number one. It will revolutionize our lives. It's not a sacrifice. It's a way to get happy. It's the way to get margin in your life. It's the way to have peace with money. It's an answer to everything. It's just that we've been deluded by a culture that says if you'll put self first, you'll be happy. There's no greater lie in the world. I need to tell you, though, it's only going to be the Holy Spirit that can bring this change in our lives. But I believe with all my heart it's going to happen. Finally, we're called to witness to the other most parts of the world. World refers to our global responsibility for the gospel. I, I was amazed. The other day I received an email from Brazil telling me this person was listening to my sermon tape as he commutes to Sao Paulo. And I thought, what a small world. As never before in history, we our tapes, our money, and our prayers go out everywhere in the world. And I believe that fact pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, he didn't die just for the peninsula. He died for the world, every tribe, every tongue. As you go home, I, I want to see if I can earth this message with two challenges. First of all, maybe you've been sitting there and quite honestly saying, you know, I don't have any story to tell about how Jesus has impacted my life. 
It's very possible to be in a church, even a member, and not have a story because you don't know Jesus yet. And I want to challenge you to check it out. And the way to check it out, you can come to our Seekers and Joiners class this Wednesday night and kind of find out where you are with Jesus. And if you don't have a story, let's create one. He's waiting. Or you may be a Christian, but you've never really articulated your story. Can you imagine me trying to give this message if I hadn't spent lots of time preparing if I just got up and let the Spirit lead me. This is reflection, this is prayed over, and I hope it'll make an impression. You need a story that, over which you've prayed and worked and articulated, and that's the purpose of the Contagious Christian class. 300 people have already taken it. We wanna help you write your story so that if and when the Holy, it's not if, it's when the Holy Spirit gives you a chance, you'll have a, reflect, a, a story that's been reflected upon, articulated, it's yours, and it'll make sense. And then would you join me in asking the Holy Spirit to just begin this week by placing one person on our heart to notice, to love, and to care for, and hopefully someday to lead to Jesus. And if that doesn't ring your chime, maybe you need to ask, do I really care about people who are living and who are going to die without a relationship with Jesus? And if I care, what am I going to do about it? Remember, we can't really love people unless the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit begins to take control of our thoughts and actions until Jesus gives us his passion. I don't have a passion for the lost. Any passion I have comes to me when the Holy Spirit takes over my life. It's sort of like the analogy you know, of Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and unless my life flows into you, you can't do anything. That's absolutely true. Charles Stanley puts it this way. Until we can say with the Apostle Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is no longer me who is expected to produce patience, self-control, and love in my life. That's a job for the Holy Spirit. It's no longer me who is expected to produce joy in the midst of stress. That, too, is the Holy Spirit's responsibility. It's no longer me who is expected to produce anything in the way of character. It is Christ working through the Holy Spirit producing character in me. You, you see why I'm excited about this message and, and kind of overwhelmed? If we've been listening carefully, what we're describing here is the necessity for a miracle. We're looking for that time when you and I can begin loving people supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes natural. Where unlike the masses in our culture, we change directions and start putting people and their needs first. That will revolutionize our church. It'll revolutionize the peninsula. Would you pray with me that that miracle will happen so that someone you encounter this week and that I encounter will come to know someone out there cares and just maybe they'll come to know how much, because we care, how much Jesus cares. And you know how much Jesus cares? He cares so much he died for us. That's why we're here and that's why we preach the message. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to be the power to live this Christian life because we can't in our own strength. We don't have the love. We don't have the passion. We're too selfish. But change us. Send down your Spirit. Give us a new boldness and a new power. We expect it. We want it. In Christ's name. Amen.